and welcome to episode two of the Six Band Pod. I'm your host, Zachary Barnett. With me, as always, is my wonderful co-host, Mark Satterley. And tonight, special guest, Cameron Koenig. How are you doing, Cam? I am doing great. Thanks for having me on, guys. Yeah, great to have you. Mark, hanging in there after uh, we got to go see the Pacers open up a can of whoop-ass on Portland. You know, that was, uh, you know, I was... Not feeling great in that probably whole second quarter and then halfway into the third quarter, but then they uh, decided to, you know, wake up and play basketball again, at which point they started scoring points, closed the gap, tied going into the fourth quarter, and then almost gave it away with three minutes to go, but somehow managed to uh, eke out the win. Miles Turner with a nice three ball to ice it right in the last 30 seconds. Um, it was good. Very entertaining. So, Cam, uh, just give everybody a little bit of a heads up. He is our college basketball expert and uh, Bulls enthusiast. Is that is that the best way to describe you, Cam? Uh, I mean, I wouldn't. I, I, I appreciate the being described as college basketball expert. Uh, that is certainly more of what I'm watching because being a Bulls enthusiast, uh, as you so nicely put it, uh, is, is most mostly has its downs. Um, I will say we are going. Me and a coworker of mine, we are going to the uh, Bulls Mavericks game on uh, March the second, mostly to just see Luka Doncic play. But I was going to uh, say mostly I'm, to I'm, see Luka and, and uh, Chris <laughs> Yeah, I'm I'm always down to uh, get on my uh, anti Bulls soapbox. Yeah, so let's talk about the Bulls, right? I have this three this team words is for the Bulls. Bring this, back Jordan. No, I, I I will never say anybody should bring back Jordan, especially the way he's made the uh, the Hornets. The look. Hornets are terrible. Yeah, that that management's pretty bad. So, but I will say this: the Bulls roster on paper isn't actually that bad. Oh, um, big fan as as many people are. I'm a huge fan of Thaddeus Young. I still don't understand why it took him so long to start him. Um, but the fact that Thomas Sadoransky is starting over Kobe White and Ryan Archie Diakono is kind of disgusting. Oh, uh, I they I think in their last game they started Sadoransky and RC Diakono. It's it, it's to the point where. You know, it. Yes, everything you said is true. The Bulls paper, the Bulls roster on paper, probably coming into this year, I could see you arguing for like an eight seed in the East. You know, they had they had some nice pieces. You know, they have Laurie Markkinen, who I still think is going to be a really good player. Wendell Carter Jr. showed some really good flashes last year. That front that uh, front court pairing looked really you know really exciting, and then you bring in. You know, Otto Porter to play with Zach Levine. You draft Kobe White, and you know you kind of you know pick up some decent pieces with Sadoransky. You have Denzel Valentine coming off the bench. You know, Cristiano Felicio played really some really good minutes for them last year. I don't think like you you could really argue against like the Bulls potentially being in that eight seed mix. However, the issue, as always, with the Chicago Bulls is their management. Gar Foreman, John Paxton, and that trickles down to their coaching decision with John Boylan or Jim Boyland, and you know, 
everything from there kind of starts to make sense as to why they're 20 and 40. To be fair, the Bulls right now are not out of the playoffs, even at 20 and 40. No, even at 20 and 40. Yeah, I was looking at that. <laughs> it's it, I, I think, like I think that just speaks to the to the strength of the East, though, right? Because that's the thing. It's you know, yes, the East is weak. Oh, clearly, that's why you could argue for the Bulls being the eight an eight seed. But you know, you look at them play this year. You know, they've lost ten of their last eleven, and you know, you just you don't see it. Yeah, that's. I guess that's the scary thing right there. Um, really, the East is kind of top heavy. I mean, you have there's a. I Milwaukee. mean, there's a fairly precipitous drop off after the Pacers at six. Yeah, I mean, it, that's where your top of your conference is six seed. Everything else, it's kind of up in the air. I mean, technically, the Cavaliers are only ten games out of the playoffs. <laughs> They're so bad. They are so bad. I, I will say, I, I know we're going to you know try and keep this t- Bulls focus, but I, I have to pour one out for John Bayline because I, I I think he got set up to fail, and I think he got punked. You know, he got... It, he got it was a player's revolt in there. You know, it's it's hard for college coaches to translate. You know, especially college coaches who have been in college for as long as Beeline. He was not bad enough to get fired. You know, the the, the Cavs roster is far worse than you know what the co- what the coaching would have made them. Yeah, and I mean, look looking at the Cavs roster, they are. Not good. Like when Della Badova is probably what third best player on the team. <laughs> like, um, golly, I don't understand what happened with this team. Um, other than the people who were good on the team left, and well, I think a lot of you know, as what he was saying is you know, personnel issues, just a player's revolt sort of thing. People not wanting to buy into a system, and then you know that starts to take a toll on locker room and then performance out on the court. Mm-hmm. Are, are, are the Cavs worse than the Knicks? Like, yes. Is that a... I, yeah, I would actually say that. Right now, probably. The Knicks have actually won a couple games here and there. I think they beat the Bulls the other night, actually. <laughs> uh, pretty much, every, they, they pretty much beat everybody the beats the Bulls. Yes. Yeah, they, they... And... Gosh, the Pacers have had a couple ones with the Knicks, or a couple close ones with the Knicks too. So it's not, despite being you know the perpetual dumpster fire that that organization is, they still manage to you know win a couple here and there. Yeah, and I think really we're going to get to a point where the Knicks actually have a good enough roster to where they can actually start winning some games. Um, I, I really think that this Mitchell Robinson kid's pretty darn good. I think that Kevin Knox is really, really good. Alfred Payton, same thing. Um, the big thing is they they kind of get a free agent to come there because this team's like best old player. It's probably Taj Gibson, and you're not going to win a lot of games if Taj Gibson's like your best, like for, you know. God, isn't Better. that dude, like, close to 40? <laughs> uh, what, Taj Gibson's 34? 34, right? yeah. Okay, yeah, maybe I'm wrong. 
But he's <laughs> Ace still has been like, around for a while, though. Man, it that's not good. No, I mean that's just like the the worst thing about this. Obviously, we know that uh, Golden State's record doesn't really reflect what the team is. You know, this year they're I mean, like, tonight. I'm pretty sure their starting lineup is going to be like. Um, Pascal, I don't even think Draymond Green's playing. Like Curry's not playing right now. I think I saw something about Clay Thompson coming back pretty soon. Yeah, they said Thompson shut down for the year, so. Ah, that's a bummer. So, on paper, the team's fine, you know, but like right now, they're probably starting Jordan Poole. Damian Lee, Andrew Wiggins, Eric Paschal, Marquise Chris. That is not a recipe for success in the NBA. No. That's a recipe for your, you know, bench. So, Cam, being the resident Bulls fan here, um, obviously probably going to end up with a good lottery pick. Yeah, I think. What, what, is, what, what are they missing? Like who? Who do they need? Oh my god! Um, it, it it's just one of those things. So the pat the Bulls have had the seventh pick in the draft. I think the last three years, um, their last three picks: Kobe White, Wendell Carter Jr., Lori Markinen. Obviously, they got off of the Jimmy Butler trade. Um, you know, like you were saying earlier, it's a decent core. You know, you have those three young players who. You know, I, I'm I'm very high on Laurie Markkinen. I know that he has some injury. He had he has had some injury concerns. But you you look at going into the year, it's like okay, you have Zach Levine, you have you know Otto Porter Jr., you have some decent bench players in you know Sadoransky and uh, Thaddeus Young, and people who can come in and you know make a little bit of a difference off the bench. If you look at like specific players that the Bulls need, I mean, I guess you're going to need somebody to replace Levine and Porter when they inevitably leave after this year. You know, Levine has had some very high-profile uh, blow-ups uh, at Jim Boyland, you know, for basically just being incompetent. So it, it's going to be hard for them to keep. Levine, I, I don't know what they're going to do with Otto Porter Jr. He's only played like nine games this year. If you look at the, you know, kind of some mock drafts, if you look at like where the Bulls are projected to pick, right now they, they would have like the eighth pick. And like after, like the problem is like after, you know, the first six picks or so, you kind of start getting into some unknowns. You, you know, there's some people who, you know, could probably help them. I'm just not sure like if those are, you know, lottery picks or if those are going to be more, you know, role players on the team. I, I think that a lot of it is going to depend on, you know, what they can do to keep Zach Levine or what they can do, you know, to kind of resolve that the, these issues that they have. The, the biggest problem is and always will be with the Bulls, John Paxton and Gar Foreman. Until they get rid of those two, I don't think the Bulls are ever going to be better than like a potential eighth seed in the East because they are never going to be bad enough to like really tank for like a top two or three pick because that's just not how their organization thinks. You know, if you look at the owner, Jerry Reinsdorf, he also owns the Chicago White Sox. 
And neither of those teams, even though they have had some struggles, you know, in the past five, ten years, neither of them have necessarily been allowed to get bad to tank. Like we saw, you know, the, you know, we, that we've seen other teams do. Like you, in baseball, basketball, you know, you if you're bad, if you're not going to make the playoffs, you know, there's not really that many players available to you, you know, either, you know, through the NBA draft where, you know, the top franchise changing players are like in the top five or baseball where, you know, you uh, you really have to hit on some prospects. That's just not going to happen when you're constantly drafting like seven through 13. So it just really comes down to, I think the, the front, the front office needs to be completely overhauled. Or, you know, Reinsdorf just needs to allow them to tank. I I don't see a player in next year's draft that comes in and makes the Bulls any better if they're going to pick, like, outside the top five. What about a player like um, Cole Anthony, who knows the name that I keep hearing pop up. Mm -hmm. Um, Killian Hayes is another big one. Um, The one I actually thought about for... The Bulls was Jaden McDaniels from Washington, mm-hmm. uh, the small forward, power forward kid who is super versatile in how he plays the game. What do you what do you think about someone like that, or what do you, what do you really think they need to go after? Are they are they looking to go for a big guy, or are they going for a small small little kid to run around with Kobe White? So, it, like I said, I think Levine is the linchpin here. Um, it, it'll really depend on what they do with him. Uh, I do believe that his contract is up at the end of the year. I could be wrong on that, but um, he's he's not happy. He, he is absolutely not happy in Chicago. So, you know, it really, I think it more or less just kind of comes down to, okay, are we going to, you know, it, are, are they kind of going to have to start over again? Are they going to lose Levine? You know, or, you know, do they kind of go with somebody, you know, in that, you know, Killian, uh, you know, Killian Hayes or, you know, Cole Anthony who can come in and kind of be like a, you know, kind of like what Portland has going on, you know, whether you have like two point guards really who can, you know, who can really dominate, who can play off each other and who can switch, you know, when, you know, somebody isn't there. Um, I, I don't say, I, I can't say I know the answer to that. You know, it, like I said, so, Okay. Zach Levine does have one more year on his contract. So, if that's the case... No, he's got two. He's got two, two. more years oh my in 2022. Oh, man. I, I, thought he had, I thought he had only signed a two-year deal. That's my bad. Um, okay, so it's now, I guess now it just depends on if, is Levine going to try and force a trade. Um, you know, I could see them going after somebody. It'll be Whatever the case, it'll be somebody who can come in and make a difference off the bench. Um, you know, I, I haven't watched a whole lot of Washington, but I have watched a lot of, you know, Arizona and North Carolina. I think, you know, somebody like Zeke Nanji could come off and be like a really good, really good spark off the bench, could really help them down low when they don't necessarily have Carter or Markinen playing, you know, just kind of being like a third, you know, a third guy there. I, I don't think Cole Anthony would be available to them. Um, and it's like they, they already took a point guard from North Carolina last year. 
you know, are we going to give up on Kobe White that quickly? You know, can Anthony and Kobe White play together? You know, there's also injury concerns with Cole Anthony. So, it's like I said, it's it's kind of up in the air. There's not really anybody in this year's draft that I could see them getting that could make a difference. Like last year, Kobe White, that's a very good pick. They needed a point guard to replace Chris Dunn. They needed somebody who could, you know, really run the offense. Um you know, I think eventually he will, you know, step into a bigger role, despite the fact that the Bulls seemingly don't want to give him a bigger role. But, you know, it's kind of just looking forward in the future. You know, it's, like I said, it's up in the air, and I don't really know if there's anybody that the Bulls could potentially pick that's going to make that much of a difference. All right, Mark, who, who, who you got? Are, are, the Bulls, are the Bulls done? They just overhaul the... Entire team, get rid of Levine, just kind of build from scratch. What do you think? I mean, gosh, from what it sounds like, uh, he is the expert, and it sounds like what needs might need to happen is a New York Knicks-style uh, front office overhaul. Because, I mean, if you look at their roster, they've got, you know, you guys have been pretty, uh, pretty comprehensive in the pieces that they've got. And, you know, I think it's something that, you know, if you wanted to do something, clear out some of those uh, costly costly pieces and then just kind of keep some of it and go from there, you know, you could do that. Or you could just, honestly, I think management can have a big, big impact on some of that sometimes, mm-hmm. too. So, are, are, we firing, are we firing the Bulls coach? Is that where we're at? Well, it's, it's so from my perspective, I think coaches a lot of the time become the scapegoat for bigger issues. Um, you know, you look at the Knicks and they fire a lot of coaches and a lot of people like that, and it really comes down to their owner. Um, so I don't know if that's necessarily the answer, but uh, I really couldn't tell you. It might be a combination of factors, and they might just need to just might take them a year or two to figure mm-hmm. out but you know so it has been shown that you can figure it out gosh the lakers you know a few years before lebron came in were not very good um and look where they are right now um you know there are there have been some teams that have obviously been out in the wilderness um for a couple of years but then you know for whatever reason personnel uh, changes or you know management changes or coaching changes, just a combination. Um, the nice thing about the NBA, I think, especially now with how much player power there is, um, is the amount of parity that there is out there. Um, to where I don't think you get so many teams that are just stuck in a funk for just year after year after year, um, at, like there sort of used to be potentially. Um, but you know, I guess it remains to be seen. I mean, but if there if there is a team, if there are if there are teams that are stuck in a funk year after year, uh, I I would definitely put the Bulls up there with like the Knicks and the Cavs and like the Timberwolves and the Suns to where it's yeah. just like they can't get ahead. Management is incompetent, and you know even if you look at next year like free agent wise, uh, the Bulls are only probably going to have about like nine million dollars worth of cap space going into the summer. Because uh, Otto Porter has a twenty-eight million dollar player option for next year. Yeah, so, they've got a lot of money tied down. You can't really, you can't. There's not really a whole lot to build around. 
because that whole roster is basically coming back outside of like Chris Dunn and Denzel Valentine. Those are the only free agents going into uh, this summer. So, like, all right, here's here's one of the things I've thought about. Um, do you try to move Zach Levine in the offseason? And if so, what team would want him? I mean, obviously he's a talented player. You just, you know, he's a talented young player. But I can't think of a place where $20 million is easy to move. And, and really on a team that would need him. Like, the teams I'm thinking that could really use, like, a just a solid shooting guard, Memphis Grizzlies. Um, Ooh. I could see... See him moving out to Memphis. I could see him moving him out to, like, Detroit. Um, But you probably don't want to move him in in your division. So where would you send him? I mean, San Antonio? Like, is that an option? Like, and then what would you get in return? Like, those are the two things that I have the biggest issues with, is, like, moving a contract like Levine's where he's he's a star who's not making star caliber money similar mm-hmm. to every star on the Pacers team, you know, <laughs> where do you move them? Cause most of these stars are making 26, $27 million a year. Some of them making 35, $40 million a year. And it makes it super hard to make money match up. And in the NBA, that's all, that's what it's all about is how much can you make the, how, how can you make the money match? Um, like, do you send them out to the Spurs for Rudy Gay and two first-round picks? Like, is that out out of the out of the question? Uh, I I I probably take that honestly. I mean, Spurs are, you know, Spurs are probably going to have are going to be a lottery team this year. You know, if it's this first, then you know that gives the Bulls two lottery picks to play with. Um, I, yeah, let's I, say it's this year's this year's first, um, and then two seconds. So like. Uh, the second in 2021 and the second in 2023. I I think you would need a second first to move him because that's the thing. It's like Levine is going to give you like Levine's averaging 25 a, a night right now. Um, I'm not. I'm I'm certainly not advocating that they trade for Zach Levine. I'm just. I think that the. I, I agree with you. I I don't know what kind of market there is going to be for Zach Levine because I think n- teams know that. You know, if if he does, if the Bulls are shopping him, it's probably not necessarily because oh we need to flip him. It's because oh he cannot stand management and he is going to force a trade. And you know we are just trying to get as much as we can for him. Now you probably could get a decent haul for two years of Zach Levine, but I think you know it, it, it's it's kind of a you know you're kind of in between a rock and a hard place there because if he does continue to have these um, issues with Jim Boyland then you know the, the situation maybe can may, may just become untenable where you are looking to trade him and then you know what kind of a you know what kind of a return are you really going to get for him um, yeah i mean like to me what you do is you try to get an expiring contract like a Rudy Gay where he's only got a year left after this year mhm um, I could definitely see even doing a two or three team trade because you have a lot of like money to where that can be moved around from random places. Um, but honestly, like a Rudy Gay esque contract where he's a solid veteran, he's going to come give you you know a solid 20, 30 minutes a game off the bench, even 
Uh, and this is a Spurs team where really they are not far out of the West. I mean, the, you know, they're four games back right now. Zach Levine would give them kind of that big boost for next year going forward. And I mean, he'd probably have to play point, but you know, it's one of those like trades I've thought about since the trade deadline. Like, why was the Zach Levine move then? Mm-hmm. Um, you know. It's just one of those things, like, uh, it's not like Bradley Beal's contract where you literally can't move that piece of shit. Like, (laughs) it's, like, Bradley Beal's contract's outrageous. Uh, Shabazz Napier's contract's outrageous. John Wall's contract's probably the worst contract I've ever seen. Uh, It's up there. So it's one of those, yeah, it's one of those things where it's like, what do you do? And um, obviously, like, if you look at the Pacers roster, right? There's like five players who make between twelve and twenty million dollars. Can't really move any of those in trades because it's so hard to like make money match up mm-hmm. to to even make it worth it, you know. So, um, shout out to Giannis though, getting me fifty three fantasy points tonight, and probably going to end up at Golden State next year because Milwaukee is not. Oh, that would be awful. Year. Really, you don't think so? That would be awful. That'd be awful. For I, I, I just, I just don't want another Golden State dynasty, because I think this year has been so much fun because of the parity in the NBA. Yeah, I mean, I'm not. And I, I really I, dread I, going back to that 2015 to 2019 Golden State versus Cleveland every single year. Golden State versus LeBron James. Yeah. yeah. Hey, man, there were some fine players on those Cleveland teams. I have a Kyle Korver Cleveland jersey. Ugh. That's not something to be proud of, man. Yeah. <laughs> hey, man, he is uh, he hedged his bets well because he's on the Bucks now, and uh, they're doing all right. Yeah, so I, I think the big thing here, right, is um, I just the Bucks are a really good regular season team. I still think the team to beat is Boston. And if Philly gets their hat out of their ass, they have been really, really good against Milwaukee. I, but Dude, the, I don't. I don't know if you've you've seen what kind of ass they have. Yeah, I'm, the problem with the problem with any like potential 76er series is that unless they overpass Miami and get the four seed, they're going to have to play the majority of their games on the road. Um, and I don't think they're. It's like they're, they're nine and twenty two on the road this year. I. I don't know yeah, if they're this, not they're not a great road team. I don't think I don't know if the 76ers can go into you know the Garden or can go into Miami or can play at Milwaukee for four games and win all four you know win those games. I think it could come down to you know yeah if, if Philadelphia can you know defend their home court like they've done all year then yeah they might have a chance but they're eventually Philadelphia is going to have to win a game on the road against Milwaukee who has the you know second best home record in the NBA 27 and 3 or in the first round even against Miami 25 and 4 at home I, I do not trust the Sixers in a seven game series where they don't have home court advantage yeah and I, I guess the big thing for me is just like how different the playoffs are like right now Philadelphia is a half game up on Indy I think Indiana's probably going to lose tomorrow against Milwaukee. Um, or is that Tuesday? You know, it's one of those, like, 
it's going to be close down the stretch. Like, there's literally, what, two games between four and six. And Philadelphia, I believe, is probably the worst-built team out of the three of them. Like, uh, Miami's yeah. been kind of slacking here <laughs> lately, though. So, we'll see what happens with all of that. I just, I'm not convinced that Milwaukee can win the East. Like, there's just so many roadblocks. Toronto's still super good. Boston's shown that they're a team, to, they're a force to be reckoned with. Um, like, just think about where Boston was at the beginning of the year, where they are now. Like, look at Jason Tatum. <laughs> mm-hmm. I, I think the kids evolved into kind of a superstar, like Kemba Walker. Um, and even Jalen Brown has been phenomenal so far. Um, I don't know. I, I just don't know what you can do to uh, make this work uh, for Giannis to win the East and potentially an NBA title. It just it, it just seems like the whenever you get into the playoffs, Chris Middleton seems to tense up. The rest of that roster is not super, you know, hasn't been on a lot of playoff winning teams. Like, George Hill obviously was with the Pacers for years, went to the Eastern Conference Finals, what, three years in a row? Couldn't win a single one of those, you know? Um, It's just one of those things where I think it's going to come down to Giannis is going to go out west somewhere if... Like, if they don't win. What if they just make a deep run, though? Yeah. You think if they make it to the finals and then lose the finals, he moves? Mm-hmm. I, I mean, I think they have to at least make the finals for him to even consider staying. Gosh, I could, I really could see them making the finals. That's the thing. I, I like them, and I, I, I like them in the East too. I, I just don't see anybody because that can outplay their matchups versus yeah, everyone else in the East seems favorable. Yeah, I I'm mean, not, the big, so. the big question mark is going to end up being Chris Middleton, right? Like. If Chris Middleton's yeah. on, like they need him to be, then they'll be fine. If he's not on, um, they tend to struggle a lot. So, like today, they scored 93 against a Charlotte team who's pretty rancid. Giannis had 41. Chris Middleton, uh, I believe, didn't play. Right? Like, I mean, they still won that game, though. That's the thing. If it doesn't, <clears throat> if you know, if you're only allowing 85, then. You know, seventeen points. In the I, to be quarter. fair, Charlotte, Charlotte is the worst scoring team in the NBA. <laughs> like, I'm pretty sure they lost to the Pacers by forty the other day, right? Like, they did. Uh, Thirty nine might have been, uh, but yeah. <laughs> I got Mid- Middleton. I I really think the only other team, or probably the only other two teams in the East that I can seriously see competing with. Uh, Milwaukee has got to be Toronto and then Boston. And I think that's, those are really the three teams. Yeah, and, and Toronto's played Milwaukee super close. Um, a lot of it's going to come down to how healthy they are at the end of the year. Yeah. If OG Ananubi is able to go, uh, they've got Marcus Gasol, you know, they've got Hollis Jefferson, Serge Ibaka, Stanley Johnson. Like, they have a very good core of even bench players. Um, Yeah, they've got a just deep team across the board. And I think that's their strength. Are they deeper than Milwaukee, though? (laughs) 
Like, let's not forget, Milwaukee's got both Lopez brothers, George Hill coming off the bench, Pat Connaughton, Ernest Ilyasova, like... Dante DiVincenzo, Wesley Matthews. Yeah, I mean, Pat Connaughton, like... Eric Bledsoe's, like, developed into a fine player. He's not my favorite guy at all, but, mm-hmm. I mean, he's fine. You know, he does well, the job. So this surprised me actually. I was I'm looking at the, you know, some stats of the bull off the Bucks this year. Uh, Giannis and Chris Middleton are the only players averaging more than 30 minutes or 30 minutes or more a game, and Middleton Middleton's at 29.9, and Giannis is only at 30.8. This is a team that you know I I, I agree that I think the Bucks have to be the favorite. I think. Yes, it's going to be the, the the semifinals and the conference finals are going to be tough, no matter who they play. You know, there's four, there's, you know, the other, the other top four teams in the East. You know, between Toronto and Philadelphia and Miami and you know Boston, one of those teams I think can and probably will take Milwaukee to six or seven games. I just I, I have to agree with Mark. I don't think anybody can necessarily get over the Milwaukee hump. It's it's really going to come down to, you know, can the Bucks stand up against, you know, the Lakers or the Clippers or whoever else comes out of the West. But it's like the thing. If, if you have Giannis Antetokounmpo right now um, if on your team, I'm probably going to bet on the team that has Giannis. All right, so let's, I think it, I, let's shift topics. I guess also, as Zach was saying earlier, I think part of it comes down to the fact that, you know, if they can stand up to all those games in the postseason, too, because it's a long season. It's 82 games plus another, what is it, 28 potentially yeah. on top of that to where, you know, you got to make sure all your players can stand up to that, which, I mean, I think, as you mentioned, they're doing a good job in terms of rationing minutes. With that team, Giannis is only you know playing thirty minutes a game and seeming to do the trick. So we'll see. So talking about Giannis, he got into a little bit of a beef with uh, one of my least favorite players of all time, James Harden. I want to know your guys' take on this. So if you if you don't know what happened, James Harden basically said. Uh, all he does is run and dunk the ball. He's seven foot and he doesn't really have to do anything else. Was the gist that I got off of it. And James Harden, you know, shoots the ball behind the line, uh, flops if he gets touched going to the basket, and plays negative defense. I, would be my counter argument. So, so here's my thing. Is there any merit to what he's saying? Like... We've seen Giannis shoot. He hasn't been the best shooter, obviously. He's not. A, he's not a great perimeter shooter, but I don't think he needs to be. I don't think that's really his role in the team. No, I, I um, mean, if you if you think about it, James Harden plays with a you know athletic freak freak of nature who can get to the who can get to the you know hoop super easily. Who can you know really whose forte you know may or may not be. You know, getting there and, you know, doesn't necessarily and has an on and off, you know, three point shot. And that's Russell Westbrook. 
yeah, it's like Westbrook can go nuclear from three, but if you watch him, if you watch him play, I, he's more of a slashing guard at heart. I mean, yeah, the, yeah you know, Jonas is seven feet. He can get there a little bit easier, but you know, I, I don't under. To me, this just sounds. This comes off as James Harden being, you know, kind of just like saying, "Hey, you know, I am averaging like thirty-five points a game." I should be the best player in the league. Why doesn't everybody else think I'm the best player in the league? And it's unf- and you know when you play in a league that has Giannis and LeBron and you know athletic freaks of nature, you know Harden just has a tendency to be forgotten. And you know Mark is absolutely right. You know Harden he he still gets to the rim a lot. You know he gets fouls. He shoots the most free throws out of anybody in the league. I don't understand. You know why? I think this is just like complaining to complain, right? And then, well, and I think also if he's going to criticize Giannis for doing, you know, those sorts of things, I mean, I think you have to look at, I would say, arguably the other best player in the league, LeBron James, does a lot of the same sort of things. He's not a huge perimeter shooter. He's you know grown into it a little bit more since moving out into that, you know, more facilitator position with the Lakers. But, gosh, for most of his career, most of his baskets were in and around 10 feet. Mm-hmm. And I I think, yeah, as you made a point, I think it's just James Harden complaining to complain. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, a bit of an ego. And, I, I mean, I recognize he's a good player, but I think part of it, too, is that you don't see his team doing as well despite his huge individual contributions. Mm-hmm. Just because, you know, I think part of it with Giannis is that, hey, he does all those things, but the rest of his team plays off him. Whereas I think James Harden kind of puts the team on his back and doesn't necessarily make it happen. All right, so here's the question then. Who you got coming out of the West? Lakers. I, my gut says the Lakers. You know, if I had to just give you some a team right off the bat, that's who I would go with. Uh, I would probably bet on the field though in the West. I, I I think that you know there's just there's just something about the Lakers. I know that they're doing really good, but I think that the Clippers in a seven in a seven game series, I think the Clippers could cause them some serious issues and I think even like the Nuggets potentially could really cause some issues for the Lakers they're probably still the favorite and I'm not trying to like give too hot of a take here but I I think the Clippers are the I, I think the Clippers are, if you had to give me the Lakers or the Clippers and the Nuggets I'm taking the Clippers and the Nuggets yeah I think Lakers versus the field is kind of interesting right now because no one has even really talked about how good Utah and OKC have been or even Dallas and all three of those teams match up very well against the Lakers and the only team that really doesn't is the Houston Rockets and Houston yeah I think Houston it's, is... it's going to be interesting just because gosh once you get into playoffs that's where everything gets real like you know, during the regular season, people are, you know, going on 80% or whatever. But you go to the playoffs, it's do or die for all the glory. Yeah. Right. And, and then you also think about, you know, with Houston, the team's so athletic, they match up against 
you know, everybody else in the West, but against, like, the teams with just really good centers, I don't think they're that good. I Anthony Davis you know, would average 45 points in a series against the Rockets. <laughs> like, it, So what you're telling me is they can't play a 6-5 center. They're not going to be able to against against the against the Nuggets or the Lakers. That's that's for oh, sure. Oh, I a hundred percent agree. Everybody else in the West has a solid center, besides the Rockets. All right, and last question that I before we sign off here, who you got as Rookie of the Year? Is it Zion or Ja? Oh man, that's that's tough. I'm watching this uh, this Pelicans Lakers game right now. Zion's looking really good. So here's the issue. Here's the issue. But I, I but I also think you have to look at sample size. In which case, Jaws got a lot bigger sample size. And, and just to kind of poke off of that, like I think I, I agree with you. It is going to come down to can the NBA Rookie of the Year voters overlook the sample size issue. Because I I think they are at the you know at the bit you know they are gnawing at the bit to give Zion Williamson Rookie of the Year. I think if if Zion continues to play that he, the way he does for the remaining twenty or so games, I think people are just gonna forget that you know John Morant played forty more games than he did and give it to Zion Williamson. I would, in a heartbeat, yeah. I would give it to John Morant. He has played the entire season. He has, he's been the best player on Memphis. He's the he he is the reason Memphis is in the eight seed right now. But the issue I see is that if Zion continues to play the way he does, that the NBA voters are not going to be able to contain themselves. It's it's going to be Zion Williamson if you know if it comes down to yeah. It. I think so, too. And it's going to be a lot of that, as you mentioned, recency bias. Mm-hmm. He's been putting on a show recently, and people, you know, that sticks in their mind, especially, you know, votes at the end of the season. And, yeah. Yeah, and yeah I, I, I also agree. think it depends who gets in the playoffs, too. If, uh, if we see Memphis get into the playoffs and, you know, New Orleans is still on the outside looking in, I could definitely see John Morant getting the vote. Um, if it was to switch and like people realize just how much different this New Orleans team is with Zion, I could easily see him getting the nod as well. But I, I agree. I think John Morant by far has been the better player for the course of the season. And I think it's going to be a really fun conversation to have at the end of the year when they're battling for the eight seed. Yeah. Yeah, it's gonna be fun. It's and it's it's not even so much recency bias. Like I said, it's more just like it's Zion. You know, like they, they yeah. You know, the NBA wants him to be the, the hype next train has been thing. going since he first showed up at Duke. Yes, I mean, it's and even before that, I mean, even when like his senior year of high school, like people were gushing over him because he had these like highlight reel dunks. You know, like he's been anointed anointed since then. And John Morant, you know, coming out of Murray State. Going to Memphis, you know, hasn't necessarily been like the sexy story. Even though, yes, Memphis, I think, has the inside track to get the eight seed. And if he, you know, drags them to the playoffs, uh, it's going to be very hard for people to vote against him for Rookie of the Year. But, you know, if Zion Williamson is sitting there averaging, 
you know, 20 points of the game and seven rebounds and, you know, doing these highlight reel dunks, then I, I think people are just going to hold their nose and, and vote for Zion to give him the, to give him the nod. Yeah, and that's what sucks. I mean, I think John Morant deserves it, and I think uh, we could honestly see John Morant kind of clap back at the NBA if he doesn't get it. But uh, it's going to be interesting. Um, and as always, though, thanks for coming on, Cam. It was a lot of fun having you on, get to talk to you about everything NBA. Yeah, much appreciated. Yeah, I, I appreciate being uh, having the chance to come on, and uh, anytime, you guys. Looking forward to... Uh, like I said, I'm going to a, going to the Bulls Mavericks game tomorrow. I'm sure I will be, you know, trying to get the fire Garpacks chance going, and we'll uh, we'll go from there. We'll see if I'm still allowed the United Center afterwards. Hey, there you go. <laughs> and uh, you guys have a wonderful rest of your evening. Thanks for listening to the Six Man Pod. Peace out.